Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with the class of 2004's Dr. Brooke Batchelor, resident physician in family medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. Today, Dr. Batchelor will share with us our path in family medicine began as a major in Spanish language and literature at U of I and eventually to attend med school and travel the globe practicing medicine from Africa to South America. Joining us from the class of 2004 is Dr. Brooke Batchelor. Brooke, tell us what you do. Oh, so many things, but um, one of the things I, I do is I'm a student of life. Uh, I... Um, I'm currently a resident uh, at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon in family medicine. So, Brooke, let's start with where was your first stop along the way once you left WeGo? That's a great question. Um, the first thing I did was uh, go to University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And um, while there, I studied... Uh, first Spanish, and then eventually nursing, and was really involved in their acapella group there, Girls Next Door. You're pretty pretty well-rounded. You got language, science, and the arts. You kind of all uh, wrapped up uh, with that. I was wondering if you could maybe uh, talk about like uh, the Spanish uh, part of your uh, degree. Absolutely. Um, I actually had entered uh, University of Illinois in the liberal liberal arts and sciences section and uh, or the school, and I uh, I was pre med at that time and found myself just really being overwhelmed by the amount of work um, in addition to extracurriculars and that transition. So I uh, I actually opted to uh, just take more classes in something I really enjoyed, which was Spanish, and um, ended up studying in Spain for a year. Uh, during that time, just to kind of take some time away and think about what I what I want to do when I grew up. Now, that must have been amazing to um, to travel in Spain and study. What parts of Spain were you at? I was primarily at University of Barcelona, so I was in, mm. in Barcelona for most of that time. Uh, but it was a pretty incredible year. I was told I could finish my degree if I went, so it was hard not to go. <laughs> How, so well, while you were uh, in Barcelona, where were some of the other places where you got to travel? Oh, that was a year that was really um, mind opening for me because I, I really took every opportunity to explore from a different, uh, a different home base in Europe. Uh, so I was m- much more easily able to get to, uh, 
to places in Africa, like Morocco, and uh, took some time to explore Israel, um, the kind of Eastern Europe, the Palestinian territories, uh, and just kind of all over Europe at that point. That's incredible that you were able to use Barcelona as kind of your hub to be able to go mm-hmm. to all those places. And that was just all in one year. And you went to all those places and were a full-time student. Amazing. So many opportunities to, uh, you know, I definitely recommend taking those opportunities because, uh, you know, the, the workload is oftentimes not as heavy as, as one might imagine. And there are a lot of opportunities to explore. And especially at such a pivotal time in life, uh, it was a very good choice. Now, just one more question about your time in Barcelona. What, what's, what was coursework like? What, how could you maybe maybe distinguish between the type of, let's say, college experience was in Barcelona versus Urbana? It was, I think, much more interesting in many ways, just to be surrounded by such rich history and to really be immersed in a culture, you know, every moment being forced to uh, to not only use language in a different way, but to be challenged in that way in your day to day work. But it it really um, it really opened the doors for me to um, to explore different parts of my identity and and what I was like in different places. So. Um, it, it allowed me both of those things uh, in a way Urbana didn't. When did you feel that you really were able to, to kind of have that level of command with the Spanish language? Uh, at what point uh, did it feel like you could just fall into conversation very fluently uh, while you were in uh, Spain? It probably took a good, it took more than six months, I'd say. Um, a lot of people would come for six months and leave and just feel like they were getting comfortable. So I really think it took probably eight, nine months and, you know, a lot of social gatherings and just really being with people my age, uh, speaking another language and, and just not being afraid to make mistakes. <laughs> that really made that happen for me. No. I think it's it's really important. I think that, you know, you said that you use this time to re- kind of reflect and kind of get the type of maybe ground underneath your feet. How did you feel that you kind of returned with more like maybe um, confidence and momentum when you, you returned back from Spain? I thought about experiences I had had a lot um, prior to that time in Spain, you know, in my youth when I had spent some time in, in other places and and seen people in the healthcare field at work and really admire what they did uh, and just reflected on that a lot and felt that I was in a much better place to, uh, to make a contribution that was meaningful based on what I had seen. So I think I had time to reflect on my past experiences. It's so great. So you come back to... Uh, Urbana, and what was like the the kind of coursework that you had, you finished up with um, to kind of get your nursing degree? D- did you have to do a type of like an internship? What what's that kind of process like? Yeah, it's it's a pretty extensive application process, and fortunately, I was able to use a lot of the classes I had already done for my pre med coursework. 
um, toward my nursing degree. And it essentially it was it ended up being two years more uh, that I that I had, and that looked a lot like kind of it's kind of similar to medicine in that you do a lot of kind of classroom work and learning, and then you go out and. Uh, most uh, most of your second year is doing different rotations uh, in different areas of of nursing. So uh, just so you can kind of sample all different kinds of um, nursing care and what you feel you might fit best into. Did you feel that you had an aptitude for a particular rotation? I really wanted to be great at critical care and I found it really interesting, but I think my aptitude was really in like end of life care, palliative care, uh, and I just found it it came more easily. So, what? How many different rotations do you have in, in this in this particular uh, process? That is a really good question. I want to say so. There's kind of a general medical, surgical, nursing. There's psychiatric nursing. There's um, some surgical nursing um, and sometimes critical care. And then there's kind of an elective as well. And I, I am not 100% sure of everything I did, but those were the ones that stuck out for me. It's pretty broad. Do you remember like the first day where you had to be making the decisions with uh, a patient? Uh, and and how did you kind of work through maybe the, the, the anxiety and being anxious and, and all of that? What was that? Uh, do you remember what, what, what was happening that particular day? I, I remember the first patient I ever had. <laughs> um, it was this very grumpy older gentleman who uh, was chosen for me to do a mindfulness activity with. And it was a really interesting match. Uh, and I remember just being so nervous to take care of him and, and helping make decisions about his care and feeling really intimidated that first day and with my first patients in general and, and wanting to make sure I did a good job and, and have good satisfaction from, from my patients, but also provide really good care and, and have structure and boundaries, compassionate boundaries. Now, when you finished at U of I, you went to go to, you, you actually continued at UIC. What was the, what were the two difference uh, of degrees between those two institutions? The UIC, technically, um, I was only in um, Urbana-Champaign, but my degree is technically from UIC for nursing, just because that was a satellite campus. Oh, okay. So okay. I, I primarily spent time in um, Urbana-Champaign. Now, you were able to do some travel, and I was wondering, did that occur during your your med school, or did that happen uh, at the point where you were still doing your, your nursing? There was kind of a middle ground, like a middle time. So when I graduated from nursing school, I wanted to get a job right away. And the market, that was around 2009 when there weren't actually many jobs available. So I applied to so many and I really wasn't getting any work, interestingly. Um, a lot of people didn't want to hire new grads. So uh, at that time, I just applied broadly in the Chicago area and I ended up starting at um, 
uh, working nights in an intensive care unit in a smaller community hospital. Now, now you, what was then the, the pivot for you to want to maybe pursue, uh, to become a, a medical doctor? Well, it, it really drew from a lot of that experience as a nurse. I, I worked for a year in that, um, smaller community intensive care unit and then went to rush, um, and, and worked in the cardiac ICU. And I think just in general, the, um, what I saw there was uh, really good care, but I, I found myself really seeing people kind of at the end of the line, oftentimes in the ICU intensive care unit and uh, really wishing, you know, people having heart attacks and cardiac arrest, uh, all, all these different things uh, and who were really sick and, and debilitated and really wanting to take care of people before they reach that point and really focus my energy on keeping people well. So that was really the pivot for me. That was kind of when I started thinking about, you know, I kind of want to be the head of the team. I want to be, I want to be the leader in, in shaping this patient's care. And I want to be the person people can come to and feeling more of a, not wanting to do, uh, I think nursing is wonderful work and, and there's, uh, immense value in what in what nurses do, and I appreciate it firsthand. Like how how hard nurses work, and I, I just found myself really just more intrigued by one. I just want to know more. So it, it was this desire to know more, uh, to not be as task oriented. I think, and then also, um, yeah, just uh, wanting to help people. Uh, prevent these uh, really, really debilitating outcomes. Now you went to, so when you, when you finish uh, at UIC or in, in U of I, I should say, um, now you, you went to university, is it Des Moines University? <laughs> yes, it is Des Moines University. Mm -hmm. Des Moines University. So tell me about the, the application process of, of getting into grad school. Where, where how, like where, what was the, um, what was the pool or what was the, what's the, what's the whole, um, uh, kind of the preparation for, for med school like? And I, I would love to answer that. And to answer that, I have to let you know about the travel I did oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, just to, to put it into context and kind of what my application process was like so that, uh, cause it might be a little different from other people. Uh, so I, um, after I, I did the nursing part, I, uh, I decided that I wanted to do more community health nursing, and I also really uh, desired to use my Spanish. And I wanted to see what opportunities were available, kind of drawing upon the joy I felt uh, in my prior travels when I was in Spain. So I, I applied for this uh, Princeton in Latin America fellowship. It's called PILA for short. They have a PIA for Princeton in Africa, and then they, they have other programs too. Uh, but there are a bunch of opportunities, not just for nurses, but a lot of um, opportunities for people in the nonprofit sector, um, pairing, uh, pairing uh, people who want to be involved in the nonprofit sector with Spanish-speaking, generally nonprofit organizations. 
So I, I found that there was a need for a nurse in, in Peru. And that's how I ended up there. I actually worked for an, a wonderful organization called Sacred Valley Health. And they work to specifically provide education for community health workers, community health promoters, uh, within those communities who then are able to be kind of point people in, in pretty rural communities for health-related needs. And um, and from there, I actually applied for another fellowship because I, I didn't have enough of travel. And I, I went to uh, Kampala, Uganda, through the Global Health Corps, which is another amazing fellowship that partners um, young professionals from various countries with um, Americans. And there are some people uh, who come to the U.S. and others go to uh, certain countries in Africa, and they work together on a, on a project um, during the year. So both organizations were great. How long was your stay in both uh, places? Uh, it was a year each. Oh, wow. Wow. So um, when you were in Peru, were, you know, you said, were you, were you staying, you said you were kind of in a rural community primarily, or were you kind of, uh, where would you stay urban and then go out to the rural? What was the uh, living uh, situation like? It, I actually lived kind of in a more populous city, but it was, I mean, pretty small overall. It was uh, called Ollante Tambo. A lot of people go through there when they're going to, to Machu Picchu. It's kind of a it's where a lot of the trains leave from. So it's in the, it's near Cusco, Peru. And uh, yeah. yeah. What were some of your favorite just kind of um, kind of separate from the actual uh, work that you did there? What were some of your favorite kind of memories, either through travel or the people that you met while you were in Peru? I really loved uh, learning about specifically the traditional medicines and the plant medicines there uh, and and the traditional applications of many local plants in healing. I just found that really fascinating. Uh, so I, I just really enjoyed bonding with uh, health promoters in that way and just talking about learning from them about these incredible plants that were in the area and, and how they were traditionally used. And some of the most memorable experiences were really go like traveling really far to these communities and just having such an appreciation for how dedicated these health promoters were and, and coming to the trainings because it's really far. I mean, on a fruit truck for eight hours, <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's really far away, and and then hiking for many miles in the mountains. Wow. So same question, when you went to to Africa, what were some of your uh, kind of other kind of imprinted uh, core memories that you made while you were there? I think living in Uganda, it was just such a different, such a different world uh, and in a very good way. I felt very welcomed. Uh, I, f I felt uh, very connected to, to my coworkers, to the people there um, and very welcomed in, into the community um, and just really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the big contrast in cultures and, and uh, just learning some of the local language too and just mm. making great connections with my co like some of the um, the people in the same fellowship as me 
Um, and then also getting a little bit of chance to travel around too in very new places. Was the work you did in Africa similar in its um, focus as it was in Peru? It was actually pretty different. The, uh, the time in Peru was primarily working to, um, I was doing some classes for community health workers and also teaching about um, just different, like essentially sex ed topics, which was really fun for youth and answering any questions they had mm. anonymously, which was really fun um, to give some good information. And then I, um, in Uganda, I worked with an organization that was primarily focused on um, care for patients with HIV and TB uh, and focused on quality improvement for them, uh, working on uh, on various various projects that they had, um, primarily focusing on hand hygiene interventions. I highly recommend doing fellowships if you can. They're just a great opportunity to explore and also have some financial backing, which is helpful. So was that something that you had to secure or was that something that Pila and Pia uh, um, uh, uh, gave to you while they, you were traveling? They provided some uh, some stipend. Both both programs provided a stipend, which was helpful. It's, it wasn't significant, but it was at least enough to live. So it was helpful. So, so upon your return, that was something that you used as a, or that was a kind of a point of reference and experience for your application to med school? It definitely was. And I was kind of, while well, I was in Peru, I, I had, I was applying to med school and didn't, and I used some of those experiences in, in some of the uh, application process, uh, but also uh, I took my MCAT just before I went to Peru and then uh, decided not to apply that year. And then I took it again and interviewed for med school. I actually flew back from Uganda to do my interviews and then flew back. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, before COVID and, uh, yeah, that, that was quite the experience of, of applying. So that wasn't the normal experience of apl applying to med school. For sure. For sure. So what, what was your med school experience like? So what typically, how long does it last? And, and what's the, how would you uh, kind of categorize the, the, the rigor of the coursework? It was unlike anything I've ever done. <laughs> uh, it was challenging, but doable. Um, it was, uh, I went to an osteopathic medical school. So for those people who are not familiar with them, uh, there's the, the MD, the medical doctor that you see, but there's also, if you look at, you know, your primary care doctor or other doctor's last name or, you know, initials, uh, you may see DO, which is doctor of osteopathic medicine. And uh, DOs, this kind of pertains to what med school's like, was like for me. Um, DOs, in addition to learning much of the same things uh, MDs learn, also spend really extensive time all learning hands-on techniques to really help the body align itself and, and 
heal itself truly. Um, and so in addition to uh, being able to take the same board exams as MDs, uh, DOs get that extra skill set. So that was a lot of my medical education too. Um, many hours in the lab a week, learning different techniques. Um, and then in addition, learning uh, just many, many hours per week of many, many tests. Uh, it's, it's, it's like drinking water out of a fire hose <laughs> is what many people say. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it, the, the quantity of, of information is quite extensive. Well, you set me up for a, the perfect question, which is, um, how do you how do you manage uh, that? Because you can't stop the fire hose, mm -hmm. so but you can perhaps capture most of the water based upon certain study habits, techniques, and, and all that. What what worked best for you? I it took me honestly a very long time to figure out ways to study effectively. I. I honestly have trouble organizing myself, and uh, it, it was a challenge to make sure that I covered everything I needed uh, and in an effective and efficient way. So people have many different techniques that work for them. And what ended up working for me was handwriting in small print, <laughs> different notes I had on one page for a test. So I ended up just handwriting helped me remember things, which may other people may also experience. Like the act of writing something out was really helpful for me to remember. And I'm a very visual person. So seeing a diagram or writing that out myself instead of more passively going through notes was very helpful. Um, and that was really one of the main ways that I, I found uh, I found to get through that. And then I think just really clarifying expectations uh, is, can also be very helpful in those situations, like expectations of what you need to know. Maybe this is kind of a, kind of a shift from uh, talking about study habits and all that, but like as you were studying, and really this is probably be kind of a continuous inquiry of yourself as a, as a, as a doctor dealing with the human body, there's so many different systems you have. You have pulmonary, you have respiratory, uh, nervous system. Do you have a favorite system? One that kind of captures your imagination more than, than others uh, that you're mm -hmm. like, I could just read about this all the time because you're just fascinated by it. I'm, I'm really fascinated by, I really enjoy cardiology. I enjoy the heart. Um, I, really enjoy the mind, especially like mood and like psychiatric concerns. Um, I think those are, and musculoskeletal system uh, is also interesting, but I do think they're really all connected in the end. What, what were some of the, because as you're in, in this probably even goes back uh, to nursing. And I, I know I kind of asked the question before, but there is kind of a, a, a type of um, comfort level when you're working with another human being that's in pain and, and, and all that. How do you, how can you, how do you find that kind of psychological balance to kind of, kind of talk through and work with a patient who is 
really kind of having a maybe a, a terrible day because of the actual physical pain, the uh, intellectual and mental anguish and all that. How, what's your approach to um, to uh, engaging a patient uh, in, in, in that circumstance? That's a great question. Uh, I think it I think it depends on the person and how well I know them and, you know, being in family medicine, I get to see people more than once, which is, which allows me to create a closer bond with people over time. So the way I approach that situation the first time versus the 10th time that I see someone may be different, but I think overall the, it's, it's a work in progress. It's, it's always changing for me. I, I am present with them. I, I like to listen and not talk often because I think people oftentimes know what they need and, and kind of guide me in that way. Um, so I like to listen. I like to be present for people as much as possible. Uh, and I listen to what I ask questions to find out what they think is going on, because I think that's an important part of, of the dynamic. And I think people just want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you, you there's a selection day, right? If I, is that the, do I have the right time? Uh, I think match day. Match day. Yeah. No, no, you're right. (laughs) Match day. day. Uh, And so um, I know that's such a a big day when you're kind of figuring out where your next step is for residency. Uh, I I was wondering if you can maybe uh, uh, kind of tell tell the story about what happened that day. Yeah, um, I, I was so excited for that day. It was just such a big deal. Um, I was in uh, Chicago. Uh, with a lot of my friends, uh, and really in the morning, you find out kind of closer to the morning. And uh, I was just with my parents that morning um, in Chicago, and you get an email, and you, my dad printed it out, and because I wanted to physically open something uh, that felt important <laughs> to me so because, cool. yeah. yeah, so he printed it out, he saw where I was going, and had some tears form (laughs) and and, um i opened it up and it was just such a such a joy to really be uh matched where i i really wanted to be so it it felt really good to and just a big transition point and we celebrated so you move out to portland and you begin your residency now you have to go through similar rotations again during your residency, or are you kind of already kind of homing in on uh, w- your specialty? You, that's you. You know your general specialty. So for me, family medicine. But the rotations you do um, are, especially for family medicine, pretty broad. So uh, oftentimes, you're at least in my program. Uh, you're in, in the hospital quite a bit the first few years. And also in clinic, you're managing your own patient panel. So you are the primary care doctor for a group of patients and you see them you know, in clinic continuously. And uh, it's a mix of, each program's a little different with some general uh, 
guidelines from the Board of Family Medicine about what needs to be covered. But it's it's a lot of hospital, and then at least in my program, as time goes on, it's more clinic and kind of time to focus more on on what you feel you need more education and experience with. So what's a typical day or week like for you? Oh, it varies so much. Um, it really goes from you know working 60 to 80 hours in the hospital uh, a week, more so my first few years, um, delivering babies, uh, providing abortion care, uh, doing various procedures like vasectomies, uh, taking care of uh, different uh, reproductive health needs, putting in IUDs, a lot of procedures, to uh, spending time with the palliative care team in, uh, in the hospital and talking to patients about uh, their help, helping patients clarify their, uh, their uh, hopes and dreams for their life. So it can vary a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, I can imagine that being very, um, that there has to be a, a very um, tender communication standard when you have to um, deliver news that was not expected in such a way. Is that something that just comes with experience? Are there special training that goes along with that? Because it's, it's, uh, it, it, has, it has to be very... Um, specific and careful when you do that what, what's that experience like yeah there there are general guidelines i mean not guidelines but there there's there's some programs you can do and like general suggested ways to approach uh, end of life discussions or goals of care discussions uh, but it is i have really come to appreciate how difficult it can be uh, and and the art of the conversations i mean it, People are really amazing who, who do that work. They're, they're artists. Uh, so I think there is part, you know, you can look at general recommendations, but I think, uh, and as I'm learning, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm always working on practicing and, and, and just refining as time goes on. Is that, what are the types of ways in which you can um, kind of, uh, process that type of burden that you that you have as a doctor because it's not like you can just turn off the empathy when you are having those conversations. What are the things that you do to kind of take care of yourself when you have to have a heavy day like that? Mm -hmm. I think uh, I that's something I, I'm still experimenting with and I think will kind of be a lifelong um, inquiry. Uh, and some of the things I've done are to really uh, prioritize um, rest, really prioritize moving, moving my body in some way. It doesn't need to be any spectacular exercise, but really like prioritizing moving. Um, and what I eat has become really important. I feel a big difference in how I feel with what I choose to eat. So... I think those basic kind of self-care uh, approaches that a lot of people know. But I think it's also important to really consider, you know, the kind of 
emotional, uh, I guess, baggage, for lack of a better word, the kind of um, intense energy that can kind of stay with you after Mm. some interactions. So I think it's also important to kind of emotionally process things in a more immediate way, which may not be as intuitive for people in med school or residency or who are busy. Uh, It feels easier to just push it off, but it does come back. And it's important to process in real time if you can, or, you know, close, as close to real time as possible. Um, For sure. I mean, it's, I mean, it has to, because it, like you said, it's not something that you want to have lingering because it probably compounds because it's not as if that isn't going to be another day where something like that happens. Just uh, so so true. Well said. Yeah. Um, You know, I was thinking, you know, there's, Part of your your job too, I always find fascinating. I remember there was um, a moment where uh, my my wife had a um, she had an infection and it was like on her leg and uh, it was right it was uh, about six years ago. I remember going to uh, to the doctor. We we're um, in in the office and the the heuristic the the way in which the doctor went through various different questions to kind of determine. Okay, not that, but this, but not that, but this. I was wondering, you know, if you could describe, like, how do you approach, um, how would you describe the process of how you're able to kind of discern the um, the, the root of a, a medical uh, inquiry in such a way? Yeah, it's that's really what med school is. <laughs> it's it's learning these almost algorithmic, uh, yeah, like we call them differentials, like differential diagnosis. What could it be and why is it not this? And and why could it be something? And a lot of the hospital medicine that we we do, we we present patients and we present a plan. And as part of that plan, we talk about our medical decision-making. And so we, we would say, we think this is something, we think this is this because this, less likely to be this or this because, and through, through listening to that, you learn these algorithms, I guess. And then also just through experience, you, you start to get these uh, impressions of what something looks like and what it doesn't. What, a, what a, a certain illness or um, what a certain illness looks like and feels like and sounds like. You kind of get these impressions that you start to refine over time and you can look at something and more, you know, and take a listen and a, a good history and physical essentially. And, and just notice a pattern that starts to emerge about different things that it just takes time. For students that are, are, are going to be listening to this and, and anyone else, I was wondering like, what are the types of like, are there readings or, books or podcasts or uh, anything that kind of also gives a really good indication of, of what, um, what this career is like that you feel that are like, yeah, that's actually pretty close to it. Yeah, that's a a great question. I I think a few uh, books that I would recommend would be um, one is Atul Gawande's Being Mortal. Um, And it just talks about, yeah, what, what actually matters and kind of zooming out, you know, why, why we do what we do. Um, And uh, I just really enjoy that book a lot. Um, And then uh, there was another, 
uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, Paul Kalanithi, um, When Breath Becomes Air, is that other book. Um, and it is just a really amazing story. It's written by this American neurosurgeon who uh, writes about his life and illness. Uh, he is diagnosed with stage four metastatic lung cancer. And he reflects on his, uh, his experience real time with these diagnoses that he's given others and, and, his, uh, and what life means and what's important. And I think those books are really important in helping, helping us think about what, what really matters and helping us focus our life on, uh, on, on those things, kind of turning the compass toward those things, no matter what we do, if it's medicine or, or something else, I think. Thinking about the why of what we're doing and, and what we're really passionate about can really help guide us the best and in the most fulfilling way. Brooke, when you finish your um, your 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 current um, uh, position here with, with your intern with your interning, uh, I was are, are you going to stay in Portland or what's what's the next move after that? That is the big question. I honestly do not know. <laughs> Um, I've looked into various uh, opportunities. I I do really love it here in Portland, and I am looking at different options here. Um, I I'm also looking into I'm I'm interested in potentially practicing with my partner eventually, uh, who is a, uh, practices Chinese medicine and is an acupuncturist. So maybe combining forces eventually with him, but. Uh, looking into, into many options, uh, and then also potentially uh, taking some time in New Zealand, they're looking for doctors too. So maybe short term for that. That'd be yeah. gorgeous. Have you, have you traveled there? I have not. That is one place I've not been and I'd really like to go. Have you been there? No, I have not. It's, it's on the list. It's on yeah. the list. Uh, amazing, amazing. Wow, Brooke, this has been so great. I've learned a, a bunch and just, I, I just love hearing about your travels and how much you were able to really just make such an impact everywhere you've gone. I was wondering if you could leave us today with tips for success for current wildcats. Absolutely. Uh, I would say don't, don't think that something is too big for you. Um, explore, really take the time and an effort to explore something you think you might want to do. Uh, I, I wish that I spent more time, you know, really seeing what nurses did and comparing that to what I saw physicians doing to kind of help me make that decision um, a little bit earlier. Uh, I would say don't Hesitate to stay in touch with people who you feel are good mentors because they'll, they'll likely be good mentors in the future for you. Um, and uh, I think just really taking the time to explore the world, if you have any inkling, to really take time to do that because you have your whole life to, to work. And if you're able to really open your mind, I think those are just some of the most formative experiences just really taking the time. The school will always be there. The, the work will always be there. And your, 
your ability to, to travel may not be as easy. So I really encourage people to seek out opportunities. There are a ton of, of scholarships, grants. I'm happy to talk to anyone who's interested um, about potential opportunities and help connect people with those. So um, I recommend doing that. Yeah. Well, Brooke, thank you so much and uh, best of luck. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always, find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search We Go Vox. That's We Go V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at We Go Places Podcast or on Twitter at We Go Places. We Go Places.